Our sermon text this evening is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. We're going to be reflecting on God's servant, Abraham. This is the word of the Lord, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Merciful triune Lord, you are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and you are our God. And as we just sang, at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The content of that hope that Abraham was looking for, forward to, Lord, through preaching tonight, would you put that same hope, that same anticipation in our hearts? We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and amen. So this is a question for everyone, but especially for our covenant children. I want you to consider in your life, have you ever looked forward to something? Have you ever anticipated something? Maybe you had a birthday coming up. Maybe you were in ballet and you had a performance scheduled. Maybe a, a grandparent had told you, hey, I'm going to take you out for lunch. You're going to go get a Frosty at Wendy's, and then we're going to go to the zoo, right? Has there been something in your life you looked forward to? Or maybe you're older, and you're in sports, or you do music performance, and you had an event coming, a big event coming. So just think about the thing you looked forward to that you're anticipating. And was it just something that, oh, yeah, that thing's coming, and it was in and out of your mind? Or was it consuming you? Right? Were you focused on it? Were you slowing down and you know, blocking out other things, visualizing, anticipating the thing in the future? Well, in our text today, we see that Abraham, the servant of the Lord, we're told that he was looking forward to something. And the patriarch Abraham, the passage I read, it's a well-known passage of Scripture we had read all of chapter 11, it would have mentioned several significant characters and individuals that the Old Testament history teaches us about. And oftentimes this chapter is called, to, called referred to as the heroes of the faith because the author of this book sets before his original audience all of these incredible examples of faith. And these Old Testament characters, we see again and again that by faith, as one commentator says, they had a perception into a reality that would otherwise remain unseen. And so their faith is put, put forward for that original audience as something to look to, look to and to, 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 uh, to, to want to model their own faith after. So they were presented as compelling examples for the original audience because the original audience was being tempted, they were being surrounded by external pressures. And these were pretty, pretty incredible pressures. They were being pressured to forsake the gospel, to abandon their belief in Jesus, and to return to their former way of life, their former beliefs. And so the author to these 
these people, the author of the Hebrews, he encourages them to persevere. The author of the Hebrews highlights these Old Testament characters as he is encouraging his audience to persevere. In Hebrews 6, verse 12, the author encourages his audience. He tells them, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And Abram is one of these men put forward as somebody who through faith and patience is inheriting the promises of God. And as one pastor wisely reflected on the letter to the Hebrews, he observed that, quote, Old Testament examples are New Testament instructions. Right? Old Testament examples are New Testament instructions. So how can these Old Testament examples, how can Abraham be instructive for us today? That's the point of the sermon. We need to persevere in the face of temptation. We need to persevere in the face of external pressures from the world, from our sin, from the darkness oftentimes that is pressing in, from demonic oppression. And we can look to an example like Abraham for encouragement. And we can consider how his faith is instructive. So let's recount the text here. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. It is rehearsing the calling of Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 12 to learn about Abraham's calling. And in that ancient story, we see that God comes. He initiates a relationship with Abraham. Abraham then is told to go on a journey. He's beckoned. He's called to go on a journey. God commands Abraham to leave everything he knew. Leave what you know. Leave your family. Leave everything you're familiar with and go on this journey. God also revealed to him in the process that he was going to make him into a nation, a great nation, that he would bless him and make him great. And so Abraham obeys God, and he goes out, as the text tells us in verse 8, he goes out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. That's incredible, right? Faith is hearing God's word, taking God at his word, and oftentimes you go out not knowing where you're going. An incredible thing, just an incredible thing. So the author of Hebrews then elaborates and explains that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, but as he goes, as he goes out, not knowing where he's going to go, he is looking forward to a city, looking forward to a city that the author to the Hebrews describes as a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That is what Abraham was looking forward to. And you say, well, what city is he talking about? Right? There's cities mentioned all over the Old Testament. Is it one of those? No, that's not the city he's talking about. The city's a metaphor. The city that Abraham was looking forward to is symbolic. This city of God is an image of heaven. Right? It's a metaphor for heaven. It's a symbol for heaven. God dwelling among his people in perpetuity and in perfection with all sin and misery gone. In the scriptures, heaven is used, the word heaven can be used to refer to multiple things. It can refer just to sky or outer space. We see that several places in the scriptures. It can refer to the abode of God. Psalm 33 uses it to refer to the abode of God. Uh, Isaiah 63. It can refer to God's sanctuary, Psalm 102 and 61. It can, we see the phrase, God's heavenly throne. We see that God is referred to as the God of heaven in the scriptures. And so what we see is that heaven, uh, God's presence is associated with the, our concept of heaven. The biblical concept of heaven is that God's presence, his special presence, is associated with it. We know from John 4 that God is a spirit, and yet, in his desire to condescend, reveal himself, and to be understood by his creatures that he loves and is merciful towards, we can experience his special presence. And heaven is this thing where we 
there will be this place and this, this, this reality where we can experience God's special presence for eternity. So specifically, we talk about heaven in relation to those who believe in God. We're talking about the admission that they will be awarded to them, the presence of the Lord for ending eternity. Elsewhere in Scripture, Luke 24, it's referred to as paradise. Heaven, paradise. It will be an eternal habitation for God's children, for all who believe. It is our promised glorious inheritance, as Colossians 1 verse 12 tells us. And it will be a place of immutable joy, which we just sang from Psalm 16. Psalm 16, 11, right? Joy in the presence of the Lord. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is the picture of heaven in the scriptures. Now, in summary, heaven is a place where God's special presence will be manifested. It will be experienced. It is the world of divine joy, a world that God wants his imagers to be in. Right? That was his original intent with the garden, with Adam and Eve. So this city of God that Abraham was looking forward to, the city of God imagery is synonymous elsewhere with what Scripture calls eternal life, everlasting life, eternal salvation, and an everlasting kingdom. The city of God is synonymous with the new heavens and the new earth the New Testament authors frequently refer to in Romans and in 2 Peter and in Revelation. And so when the author of Hebrews says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, he's explaining that Abraham was looking forward to the presence of the Lord, to paradise restored, to the heaven that we're told in the Lord's Prayer to pray for, that heaven is coming down on earth, the heavenization of earth, the hope of the gospel. And Abraham had faith, and he saw this thing and desired this thing that by human eyes was unseen because he was taking God at his word. So let's circle back for a moment consider the example of Abraham. If we go back to Genesis chapter 12, where we first learned about the calling of Abraham, which is being summarized in Hebrews 11. When God called Abraham, observe how Abraham, by faith, left a certainty for an uncertainty. We're told that he went out not knowing where he was going. He left a certainty for an uncertainty. So Abraham left the certainty of home. He left the certainty of family. He left the certainty of friendship. He would have been leaving the certainty of a native economy. And this is the kind of thing that, like an OCD kind of guy like me, like, I don't, want to, I don't want to go to Canada. I don't want to go down to Mexico. I don't want to hop on a plane and go overseas. I mean, if God's calling me to do mission works, that's one thing. But out of my own, my own desire. I have no desire to go somewhere and have to try to figure out the exchange rate for money or what, is, you know, what does this say and how, where's the bathroom? Like, I, I'm just a guy that I'm, I grew up in Indiana. I, somehow God sent me to Montana. But I just, I like what's normal. Right. I, I, I like what's normal. I just, I just, I like the status quo. And what Abraham does is just an incredible thing to me, right? And he leaves all of the certainty for uncertainty, right? And I experienced that in my call to ministry to go out to Montana. I never thought I'd leave the Hoosier homeland. And surely God will call me to be a pastor somewhere here. I know, I know what all the food tastes like. I know where all the, all the, all the stores are. And I know when I go into the Kroger, the, you know, these, these are the aisles, and this is where the food is, and it's, life is easy. But God has different plans for us oftentimes, right? And so God calls Abraham from family, friends, and native economy, and much, much more for the uncertainty of just taking God at his word and trusting God. 
entering into the dynamic, incredible, thrilling relationship of being known by the master and creator of the universe, and that he is a God who desires to dwell among his people and, to be, and for him to be known by us. God loves us. He loves us. That's what all of Scripture teaches. He loves us, and he wants to be in this relationship with us. And he's made it so through the mediator Christ. And so God's calling of Abraham, we need to understand it would have been a subversion of everything that, everything that Abraham, like all people, people would have naturally understood about power and comfort and safety and security. The calling of Abraham is God subverting all of Abraham's human understanding of what power and safety and security truly are. True power, true security, true safety is obeying God, trusting God, having faith, following the Lord. So think about Abraham. He lived around 1800 B.C. We're told he was from the city of Ur, which was a city in the region of Sumer, southern Mesopotamia. Ancient Mesopotamia was an advanced society. It's, 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 it's easy for us to look down our nose at anybody in antiquity and think that we're so, we're, we're so refined and developed in the 21st century, but it's just not true. They had social regulations. They had disciplines, established priesthood. They had a division of labor, a specialization in various social functions, civic laws and codes, perhaps even some of their cities were examples of the earliest city-states. And religiously speaking, we know they were thoroughly polytheistic. They weren't following the true God. And yet the true God comes and picks this man and calls him out of all of that. They had technological advancements, math, timekeeping, weights and measurements, a lunar-based calendar system. So it's important to understand that when God came and called Abraham, he wasn't calling him out of a cultureless caveman context. It's not like he came to Abraham and Abraham's living in a cave trying to figure out how to use sticks to create a fire. That's not what happened. He had a culture. He would have had a native people. There would have been a, a, an economy. and There were all of these temporal blessings, common graces in his life, and God comes to him and disrupts all of it. says, forsake all of it and go live in a tent. Be a wanderer. Trust me. And he, he does it. He goes out not knowing where he's going. So we see the incredible faith of Abraham here. There would have been some measure of, from a human perspective, security, prosperity, culture, social capital that Abraham would have enjoyed in his native original context. There would have been a society with foundations. There would have been a type of certainty for him. And don't people crave certitude? You think about America every four years and everyone has their heart attack and we enter back into election season. It's because they crave certitude. And they think the whole jockeying from this party to that party back and forth is going to disrupt the boat. We just want stability, right? So I think you can relate to it. Like Abraham gives up all of that. He walks away from all of that, trusting God. And God calls Abraham away from that. He leaves all of that and he goes on his journey. And the Lord tells him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, right? Your native culture will not bless you. Your family will not make you great, but I will. Your native economy isn't going to make you great and bless you, but I will make you great and I will bless you. And so Abraham was surrounded by human greatness, human achievement, and God calls him away from all of that. And God is subverting Abraham's assumptions about power about security and about true joy. And so then by faith, Abraham's focus shifts from the human foundations of family, friendships, material comforts, and civics, 
And he shifts his focus on the foundations that are unseen, a city with true foundations whose builder and designer is God. And he goes out looking forward. Abraham's call from certainty to uncertainty was seemingly unreasonable, right? It was seemingly unreasonable from our human point of view, from the unbeliever's point of view. They'd say, that's crazy. What are you doing? Why are you giving up all of this stuff? In our human calculation about what is reasonable, we would say that what Abraham did doesn't make any sense. But the author of Hebrew analyzes the story of Abraham's calling. He analyzes and gives the true interpretation of the historical actions of Abraham. And Abraham went out by faith looking forward. He went out trusting God's promises that he would enter into an eternal heavenly reward. The calling of Abraham is a significant event. What Abraham did by faith can be and should be, ought to be a compelling example for all of us. What Abraham did by faith, not knowing where he was going, his looking forward to that city built by God, looking forward to a heavenly reward that is promised to all who lose sight of themselves and seek God's righteousness and God's kingdom, should be a compelling example for us. This city, heaven, that Abraham sought, likewise, we're called to be imitators of Abraham and to look forward and to seek it. The author in Hebrews 13, 14 says, we seek a city that is to come. Right? He doesn't just tell them, look at the example of Abraham, and Abraham went out looking forward, but he tells the original audience, you need to seek that same city to persevere, to stand up to these, these external pressures, these temptations to Go back to your former religious views and practices and beliefs. You need to seek that city that is to come. This is how you will stay focused on Christ and be faithful to Christ. God has prepared a reward for those who will seek him, Hebrews 11, verse 6. And through Jesus, God has made a secure bridge to heaven for his children. And there's great benefit found in anticipating heaven. Just like little kids the special day or the birthday or the tea party, you know, the, the performance, whatever the big thing is that you're anticipating and looking forward to. Right? There's great benefit in anticipating a thing. So are we anticipating heaven? Do we look forward to heaven? Paul says in Romans, Romans 8, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation is groaning. Creation is looking forward to the world being transformed, to the new heavens and new earth to the lordship of Jesus Christ that's being extended to all the corners of this universe as the gospel goes out. Heaven isn't just the redemption, the healing of people and nations, but biblically speaking, it's also the redemption and the healing of creation. Compare what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. John saw this vividly in his vision, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This reconstitution of the earth, the heavenization of the earth, the consummation of the kingdom that Jesus, through his life, his birth, his death, and resurrection, has inaugurated. Right? This kingdom that's expanding right now and growing, the gospel going out, this consuming flame that's going out and setting all of the nations on fire for God's glory. Abraham's faith and hope should be instructive for us saints. Abraham had faith in things unseen. Abraham had hope in the promises of God. Abraham's faith, his act of commitment, his obeying God's call, and Abraham's hope, his state of mind, his looking forward to the city of God. Let these things instruct you. Abraham had to patiently endure and overcome many doubts, many trials, and yet he patiently endured and he overcame them. Doesn't mean his life was sinless. Right? Go, read, go read the book. He messes up in big ways. But God promises repentance and forgiveness to sinners. So even as we look forward, if you mess up, run to God in repentance. Forgiveness is a sweet thing. And it's one of the things that makes us desire heaven even more. Where no longer will sin occasionally get in the way of my relationship with God. Right? Can't wait to experience knowing God without sin. Right? Looking forward to that. Abraham had to patiently endure and overcome many things. The Lord said he would make him a great nation. Fast forward years and years and years, and yet Abraham still lived in tents. And he still didn't have a child, the child of promise. He waits and waits and waits and waits. By faith, he patiently endures with hope in God's promises. So think about the efficacy, the power of the gift of saving faith. It's a gift of God. Faith is a spirit-wrought gift from God. We know this from Ephesians chapter 2, as the apostle tells us. But the faith that Abraham had, understand it's the exact same gift that God has given to you and I by his spirit. It's not like Abraham's unique in that sense. So we also can patiently endure. We also can overcome. We also can be humble. We also can seek the face of God, the, 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 the repentance that comes to, to those who have been justified and changed and converted and are being sanctified. We also can persevere on this journey to that city of God, our heavenly reward. So reflect on the example of Abraham. Ask the Spirit to teach you and to teach you and to teach you by his example. Those Old Testament characters who are New Testament instructions. Right? They're instructive for us, New Covenant instructions for us. If the Spirit holds his light, his divine light over the scriptures about Abraham and his life, what is one of the things that it teaches? Well, we're told that Abraham had faith. And the first question for you and I should be when we think about the life of Abraham, we think about ourselves, when we let his life read our life, is you need to ask yourself, do I have faith? Do I have the gift of saving faith? That spirit-wrought gift that can only come from God, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. Do you have it? Which is to say, have you been converted? Do you know what it means to be converted? Do you know what it means to be born again? John chapter 4. If not, call out to God. If so, praise God. Thank God that you've been born again, that you have faith, that you 
can be like Abraham, that you can imitate him. Abraham, in obedience to God, was willing to leave certainty and walk into a life of uncertainty, looking forward. Are you willing to do that? Are you and I willing to do that? To walk away from all the certitude, all the comforts of life, and trust God and say, I'm uncertain about the future, uncertain about where obedience will take me and what it will look like, but I'm going to take God at his word. If he's telling me to do this thing, I'm going to do it. If you sense God's calling, would you leave the comforts and certainty of life and exchange it for obedience to God in an uncertain future? I know this church has sent out many missionaries, but this is what every single missionary does. Literally, they walk away from native economies and cultures and families and foundations and comforts, and they take God as word, and they are so driven by a desire to see the nations converted and to come into the kingdom that they say, all these temporal blessings, I'm going to give them up. I'll sacrifice them for the sake of Jesus to go take the gospel to the nations. But it's not just missionaries who do this. All Christians, we're called to embrace the cost of discipleship, to pick up our crosses and to follow Jesus All of us in that sense can figuratively be like Abraham, be willing to turn away from certitude to uncertitude. And Abraham was looking forward to this city of God, to heaven. And so ask yourself, this tells us something about the affections of Abraham, his desires, the object of his meditation and focus and anticipation. And ask yourself, Do I have those heavenly affections? Do I have heavenly desires? Am I focused on heaven? Am I focused on God? What are the things that I meditate on? What are the things that I spend all my mental effort anticipating and thinking about? Are you looking forward to the city of God? Are you looking forward to heaven? Or is your love for the world crowding that out and choking that out? Now, we should love this world. This is our Father's world. He is the master and creator of this universe. But our love for this world, it should actually be like this immediate feed, like feedback loop for us. Be like, man, I love my family this much. I love my, 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 my native culture, my, my job, my employees, you know, my neighbors, my local church. But when you love these things, it should, it should be kind of like a way for us to gauge and say, you know, if I can love these temporal things this much, How much more should I love God, the eternal, infinite God? Right? Surely if I can love my wife this much, and God is so much more incredible, my capacity for love for him can be even greater, right? It's not to downplay any of those things, right? We have duties there. Those are good duties, and we should be called to love this world in a certain sense. But not to the extent that we let them overcrowd and take over and sit in the driver's seat, so to speak. And so by the Spirit's grace, do you need to break away and forsake and attenuate or just get into the proper relationship, your loves, your affections? I think Abraham can inform our affections so that we can begin to craft heavenly affections. Also following Abraham's example, if we come under the discipline and control of Jesus Christ, we will be empowered to walk in holy practices that both shape and sustain us as we strive to meditate on and seek heaven. One of the things to also think about is we don't just imitate 
Abraham when we look forward to heaven, we're actually imitating Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're told that Jesus at present is looking forward to something. And what does Scripture tell us that Jesus is looking forward to? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and earth, all power has been given to him. What do you mean he's looking forward to something? Well, Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father, even though all authority has been given to him, Scripture tells us that Jesus is looking forward to when all of his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. Hebrews 10, verse 13. Jesus is looking forward to his second coming and the final judgment which will consummate the new heavens and new earth, the city of God, heaven for eternity. As one author notes, quote, the waiting period between the enthronement of Christ and his final triumph over his enemies is identical with the present era, and there is no doubt about the ultimate outcome. There's no doubt about the ultimate outcome that Jesus will bring heaven on earth, right? He told his disciples to pray for it. The heavenization of this earth, heaven coming down, the new heavens and the new earth, the transformation of all things so that God's people, after the final judgment, can be with him and dwell with him. No sin, no misery for all eternity. That great reward we will enter into. During this time, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and we're told that he's interceding for us, he's praying for us, he's the one mediator between God and man. He is the first fruits of redemptions, the first fruits of the hope of the resurrection, the kingdom of God, this heaven coming down on earth. The church prays together in anticipation, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our hope, this is our desire. This is what Abraham was looking forward to. This is what all of us should be looking forward to. So let us resolve to be imitators of Christ, looking forward to when all of his enemies shall be made into a footstool, looking forward to that hastening day, the consummation of a new heaven and a new earth. And on that glorious day, the final enemy, death, will be defeated, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And so with heavenly affections, the church right now, we're told to wait and to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Looking forward, come Lord Jesus, come. I know in your church, your practice is to observe the Lord's Supper every third week of the month, uh, every third Lord's Day. But even now, you can begin to start examining yourself in anticipation of the third Lord's Day when you guys observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, when you hear the invitation to come to the table, even now examine yourself and ask yourself, is my heart in heaven? Right? Am, am I looking forward to heaven? Am I looking forward to that city with foundations whose builder, whose designer is God? Do I have the heavenly affections of Father Abraham? Where are my priorities? Would I be willing to walk away from certitude enter into the journey of uncertitude because I'm going to take God at his word because I'm so committed, I'm looking for it, I'm focused, I can do it. Think about the things that athletes will put themselves through, the extreme crazy things they'll put themselves through in training, looking forward to just a game on a weekend. Right? As a Christian, would you be willing to pay the price for glory as you look forward to heaven? Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that it's living and active. We ask that it would convict us, but most of all, we ask that it would just help us to refocus on Christ, refocus on the promises of the gospel, the hope of heaven, paradise restored, these incredible things, these truths that we couldn't figure out on our own, but you've revealed to them. You've inspired holy men to write these things in your scriptures. And so, Lord, we ask that we would be like Abraham, who endured much persecution and hardship and overcame sin, looking forward, trusting in your promises. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would not just hear a sermon like this that'd come in our ear and go out the other one. But it would really just change us and we'd just start to cultivate these godly disciplines of meditating on heaven, meditating on communing with you in all eternity, which begins now today. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and amen.